Around Comics, Episode 42. Thank you for listening to another episode of Around Comics. This is Sal, and I am joined as always... Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not. I'm all by myself today. Chris and Tom have the week off. It's just me. So I bet you're wondering, I bet you're sitting there thinking, what does old Uncle Sal have in store for us today? Well, Chris and I were able to sit down a little while ago with a very talented writer, one of our favorites, Ed Brubaker. Uh, writer of Captain America and Daredevil and the new creator-owned series Criminal, uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff that we really enjoy. That'll be in just a moment, but let's get to a few show announcements. First off, this episode is sponsored by GeekArmor.com. GeekArmor.com sells t-shirts with the geek in mind, featuring a great selection of comic book t-shirts as well as video games, sci-fi, TV, and movie shirts you are sure to find something you like. Check out their latest original design, a red shirt with a phaser hole in the front that reads, I went on an away mission and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. And now the good folks at GeekArmor.com are offering a 10% discount to all Around Comics listeners. Just use the coupon code AROUNDCOMICS when placing your order and receive an additional 10% off. GeekArmor.com, check them out today. All right, so that's that. We paid the bills. Uh, what's next? Uh, right Times Comic. Our July-August contest is Right Times Comic. Uh, basically, we've taken a page out of a Green Lantern number six. We've taken all the letters out of the word balloons, and you have to fill them all in. Uh, whoever wins, we'll, Tom will choose a winner on that, and whoever wins will be sent a free trade of their choice, twenty-four ninety-five or less, as well as ten hand-selected quarter books by Mr. Tom Caters himself. So go to our website, www.aroundcomics.com slash contests, and uh, you will see all the information there. LCS Challenge. Uh, we have a uh, uh, LCS Challenge. If anyone wants to uh, download our PDF flyer of the Around Comics podcast and talk to their LCS manager or store owner, get them to put the flyer up in your store, let us know. We will uh, mention it on the show as well as put a link on the website. Um, iTunes reviews, we're always asking for those. Chris is a real big fan of the iTunes reviews, and you'll be all happy to know that we finally did get to 40, so maybe he'll calm down, including a very nice review by one of our favorite creators, Andy Parks. Uh, we'd like to say thank you, Andy, for that. We know you're a listener, and we appreciate it. And if anyone has not checked out Andy's podcast, or a podcast that he works on from time to time, uh, it's called Will Flipson, and you can check that out at willflipson.com slash wordpress. So thanks again, Andy, and keep up the good work. Listener emails, send us your emails at news or info or pretty much anything at aroundcomics.com, and we'll uh, read them on the show. Send us a voicemail. You can leave us a message at one eight 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 six five gcast That information is also on the website, and we'll probably play it on the show. And I want to mention one last thing about the website. We have a new little thing we set up called a Frapper, which is basically a map where you can go and log in and, and put your zip code, and it'll give you a little 
uh, icon on the map so we know where everybody's at. So you can check that out from our website uh, under the community menu, or you can go to frapper.com slash aroundcomics and do that. So that is that. Let's get on to the actual show. Like I said earlier, uh, Chris and I had an opportunity to sit down with one of our f- favorite creators, one of our favorite writers, Ed Brubaker. Uh, those of you that may not know who Ed Brubaker is, which I doubt, there's many, but just in case, he is the writer of Daredevil, Captain America, Uncanny X-Men. He came from the independent world of comics with such titles as Low Life, and then he moved on to Gotham Central with DC. He did a great uh, book called Sleeper, uh, and he's just grown and grown and grown and, and just become a phenomenal writer. So we were very happy to sit down and talk with Ed for a little while. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's listen into that. Have you guys all checked out the uh, video on my on my MySpace page? No. What is it? Uh, oh, some friends of mine uh, this week. This week, uh, my one, a good friend of mine who's like an ex professional wrestler from Incredibly Strange Wrestling, and my wife. Uh, got together to make a little commercial uh, for a criminal that's a parody of the Comics Foundry blog from last week where he's going on and on about Wizard. <laughs> nice. Did you, did you guys see that thing? Yeah. No, I he saw, like, practically I... breaks down in tears at the end. So they made, the, we, there's this little two-minute parody of it on my MySpace page right now. It's pretty, it's pretty hysterical. My wife even made the, uh, even made like a little intro song that like parodies his intro song. It's pretty, it's pretty dead on. <laughs> like, Bob doesn't seem anything like the actual guy, and I actually think the Comics Foundry blog is somewhat of like a deadpan joke because no way did he get that upset. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how. Yeah, that was pretty pretty over the top. Yeah, but our thing takes it like ten times further over the top, and it's really funny. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to check that out. Nice. Yeah, it's you know it's two minutes. It's crazy though. It's uh, we just uploaded it like half an hour ago, and it's already had. Uh, like 165 views or something like that. <laughs> YouTube. This is my first time ever putting any any like a video online at all, so it's very bizarre. I didn't but, actually yeah, know my friend. My friend Count Dante, who did the thing, is has been sort of in like a feud with Jack Black because he claims to be the guy that the real Nacho Libre was based on. <laughs> and he's been calling Jack Black out and challenging him to wrestle and challenging him to a karaoke off and things like that because he's in a power trio as well so it's 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 pretty funny he's it's it's really funny because he doesn't look anything like the guy from comics foundry but he's just wearing horn rim glasses and a black shirt <laughs> so it works you have some yeah. inter- you have some interesting friends ed i try to <laughs> have you ever uh speaking of wrestling though if you're in into have you ever heard of something called luce vavum What's that? It's uh, we we got turned on this by uh by Jeff Darrow, actually a friend of Jeff. Uh, Jeff, Darrow, a friend, so. yeah, and uh, it's it's a combination of luchador wrestling, stand up comics, and burlesque show, and they're going oh on in God. like Southern California. <laughs> they're huge. I think if you, you just Google luchador, oh, I think Bob has, has uh, my friend Bob who is Count Dante. I think he's actually done some work on some of that stuff, like done some announcing for them when they come to San Francisco. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, he knows all about that stuff. Yeah. It's hot. It's hot. So, <laughs> you put anything cool. in a luchador mask these days, and it's awesome. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you, uh, are you keeping up with Exterminators? 
Uh, I have not read Exterminators, actually. I was waiting for the trade, and then uh, my store sold out. So oh, it's... I'm getting... I know, I, I feel like an asshole for waiting for the trade, but I got <laughs> so used to getting all the DC books for free for so sure. long that it's, it's hard for me to, to try out. I, I was... I tend to try out like a couple of the Vertigo, like new ones whenever they launch a new book and stick with it for four or five issues to see if, I, if I'm going to like it or not. And, uh, I gave, I, I, I was, I was, I've been picking up Testament and, uh, American Virgin because friends of mine are working on them. Sure. We, we absolutely <laughs> and I don't love know the guys who do Exterminators, so fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, we, we just did an interview with Simon Oliver, who, uh, is Are the you writer of it. now? The, um, yeah, I yeah, am, but we're, 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 we're just... I tape checking. everything, but we yeah. can always edit it out yeah. if, if no, you... No, that's, that's fine. It's funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, believe me, believe, go back and listen to it if you, in your abundant spare time. We we actually interviewed Simon Oliver last uh, last Monday, and he's got this right now. The guy has never written anything commercially before. This is like his first published work, and it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. It's uh, there was actually these crazy internet rumors going around that he was like uh, Grant Morrison, Chuck Austin, or Chuck Austin. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really good. <laughs> that's the kind of crazy internet rumor that you really want. Yeah, yeah but uh, it, or, was, it was funny. Like we the had... one about like whoever Writer X was or whatever. Remember that that X Men book and they didn't reveal what the guy's name was ever. Oh yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What? The, the, uh, what was the name of that book? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't. God, why can't we remember? Oh, the Brotherhood, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and it was written by like Malcolm X or something. <laughs> and they never, they never, uh, they never did say who that was, did they? Yeah, no, they never did say, but everyone assumes it's Howard Mackey. Oh, for some reason. <laughs> nice. Which, if, if that would be the case, then wasn't that, wasn't that like the last job he had? Probably. Do you have anything now? I, I haven't seen anything from him in in a couple of years. I don't remember the last. But Sal, oh, I just, yeah. I just wanted to, from a person, from a, uh, you know, from me personally, I just want to say thank you again for the for the Daredevil nod. Um, the the CEO Salazar, that was that was uh, pretty cool. So thank you. Oh, sure. No problem, man. He's like, what? he's what? like, what? What, what, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, I was really, I was really hoping I was gonna get like, you know, anally raped by the Punisher at some point or something. That would have been fun, but well, I didn't want the Punisher to cheat on Turk, really. <laughs> my, that was my subtle like implication of the of like the way Turk was looking at the Punisher when the Punisher was was like, you know, back in their shared cell. Was that obviously, you know, when you're sharing a cell with the Punisher, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, no, no. you know, like obviously whoever's there is, is, is just, you know. No matter you know. who it is, you're the bitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, but that's no. all right. No, thank. Like I said, I just wanted to say thanks again. That that was extremely cool. Now, can we not talk about that ever again? All right. Yeah. <laughs> How many times has that been discussed on the uh, quite on, a on bit. The show? Yeah. Quite probably a... about once a month, which is probably, <laughs> yeah. It's my claim to fame. Hey, anytime we we start talk talking about to... the most expensive thing we own. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime <laughs> we, we talk about out. like what comics we own or what you know, I'm like yeah, but I was in Daredevil, and it's just a trump card. You know? Yeah. It's like thread killer. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all so, right. All right. So what what we want to talk about, obviously, Ed, is um, criminal. We are really passionate about creator-owned work. I, I well, it seems mm-hmm. like to me the hardest thing about doing a creator-owned book is like find, getting the people who uh, who read your other stuff to even know that the creator-owned <laughs> book exists. Bendis tells me he's he'll run into people at at cons who are 
they'll be sitting there at his booth and someone will come up and go, hey, I'm your biggest fan. I have every issue of Ultimate Spider-Man and they've never heard of Powers. Yeah. That How is, is that possible? Yeah, I don't understand that either. It's just so strange to imagine as much as writers are followed nowadays yeah how you can only i mean but it's amazing to us i mean we kind of got in doing the podcast and we fell into the sort of the niche of talking about smaller books because nobody was talking about all these books that we read and really loved and people just didn't know about them have copies of casanova on the shelf there Absolutely. There's we, we are. Okay. We are. My we are. Was sold out this week already. Yeah. We are. I, I went in yesterday afternoon. I guess you have to go on the first day. <laughs> well, I'm sure Matt will. Uh, Matt will be very happy to hear about that. We've been pushing that book since the since uh, before it came out. We we love Casanova. Well, actually, oh, yeah. uh, we'll ask uh, Mark, our store manager. Mark, how many uh, how many issues of Casanova one did we sell, and how many of two have we sold? Yeah, tw- twenty of number one, and and probably close to the same on number two. So yeah. Casanova's been doing well here. Wow, cool. Yeah, push how, many, how many X-Men does he sell? <laughs> how many un- I, I like to do comparison tests because the Isotope was about, selling the same number of, of Sleeper as they were of X-Men. Uh, about like, s- he said about 60. Sell, I was like, do you sell five X-Men? <laughs> <laughs> he said about 60 uh, Uncanny. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, and so so Casanova's nice. doing like a third of X-Men there. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. If he could do that everywhere, they'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but but you know, everyone is excited about your work on X Men right now, along with and you know, Daredevil and Daredevil and, and Captain, Captain America. America. But we wanted to have you on the show this week to talk about an upcoming project that we're really excited about, and that is Criminal, which is coming out from Icon. Can you tell us a little bit about how this all came about? Um, yeah, uh, Criminal is something that it's sort of grown through through a variety of of uh, paths that all sort of ended up converging in this book. But a few years back, uh, a European publisher had asked me to try to come up with something for them, and, and I came up with a pitch for a crime thing. And we went back and forth on it a little bit, and just it never ended up happening. But I always, you know, that that was about five years ago, and it sort of sparked this thing in, in me that, you know, was I was really, you know, when, when given the chance to try to come up with something that, you know, just a pitch for a market outside of superheroes, like, what would I do? And, and you know, so the story that I'd come up with and the characters just kept banging around in my head and and then other other stories started appearing and I kept thinking of ways to link the various stories together and create this sort of, you know, underground world. And so I'd been, I'd been sort of formulating it in my notebooks and in my head for a number of years. And then... Um, after Sean and I finished Sleeper, we were talking about, you know, what are we going to do next and, you know, what and where are we going to do whatever we do next. And we had something in the works at another publisher. Uh, this, we, we were going to do this thing called Black Sales um, for IDW, and we just uh, never ended up coming up with exactly the right deal. And we were, and then uh, Rick Remender put out his comic, uh, Sea of Red, which was almost the exact same concept. Uh, I don't necessarily, you know, know if I want to jump right into this thing. Then, if there's already something else that's sort of like it, and and so I was trying to think, what else should Sean and I do? And um, I just suddenly I was like, I want to do the crime thing. And so I sat down, I opened up all my notebooks, and just you know came up with like an outline. And I, I had just signed at Marvel, and one of the things that I had talked to them about about signing there for so long was that uh, I wanted access. You know, hopefully to to the icon label if 
problem. They were like, yeah, okay, pitch something. So I pitched criminal and, and, uh, you know, called up Sean and said, hey, you want to do this thing? And he said, yeah. And so next thing you know, we're doing the book. Well, for anyone that doesn't know what the, the sort of basis of the book is, can you give us a, a rundown of, of sort of the, the Hollywood pitch? Yeah, the pitch. What is, what is criminal? Hey, you know, I'm really bad at the high concept pitch. Criminal <laughs> is basically like, you know, it's, it's like the American outlaw in, in a way. It's like America loves the bad guys who aren't really bad. You know, like we'll take a bad guy that is really bad and we'll, and we'll pretend we'll, and we'll whitewash out the really bad stuff like Billy the Kid and, and Jesse James and, you know, these, I mean, like Jesse James and his brother supposedly were part of Quantrell's Raiders who were, you know, completely like the most vicious people alive, you know, during the Civil War. And yet, you know, after the Civil War, we paint Jesse James as being like this sort of heroic character. And because that's, that's just something that we do when we read about like someone who lives outside the law, who is also like kind of a, a bit of a good guy while being a bad guy. Like we just love that. And that's, that's sort of the world of criminal is like these sort of, these characters who exist outside the system and outside the law that, you know, we all feel sort of trapped by sometimes. Well, these people are, like, living outside of that, and, you know, and they there's a whole other code of rules and conduct that they have to live by. And that's kind of the, the pitch is, like, you know, this is, this is, this is a, a picture of that world. And, but, you know, in reality, it's more of a, it's, it's a combination of, like, everything that I've liked about noir all rolled into one package. It's, you know... Any kind of noir story, from a heist story to like a man on the run to, you know, a falsely accused guy to, you know, just pure out revenge kind of stuff can all take place within criminal, within this, this world we've created with, you know, in, in this cast of characters. It's, it's almost like a rotating team book or something, like, like the way New Avengers is in a way, like, <laughs> not really because they're not a team of people, but, you know, the main characters all, all know each other and all hang out in the same bar and, and all work together on on jobs occasionally, and yet they each sort of get a chance to to take their turn in the spotlight as the stories progress. Well, that's that's and, sort of the feeling I got from you know the information from the preview and everything was that you kind of set this up so that you can go in a lot of different directions with whatever characters you choose to introduce. Is that is that what you planned from the beginning uh, of being? Yeah, able to... it's like criminal is is the umbrella title for. It's, in a way, it's kind of like Sin City or, or even 100 Bullets in the way that, you know, different characters will take the lead for, for one story or another. I mean, I don't want to compare it too much to Sin City other than, you know, I'd love to have their sales figures, but, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, it, it might it, it might still, you know, if, if someone was a, a huge fan of Sin City, there's, you know, a certain vibe that, you know, that our book might fill the niche of, you know, that sort of underworld you know, kind of thing, but I, but we're definitely not trying to do a Sin City. But at the same time, you know, the way he did the the way he did that with the stories was, I thought, really brilliant. With uh, you know, having the city be the main character instead of the instead of the characters, so you could, you know, do a lot of different kinds of stories with a lot of different characters. You could kill off your main character and still keep your comic going. Like that, I thought that was just a really brilliant idea. That was the idea with Sleeper or with with Criminal was that Criminal would be the umbrella title and I would be able to create these various characters and have them all sort of take their turn and uh, and you know and that way each character can sort of be their own little franchise in a way 
Well, I was a a huge fan of Sleeper. That was the that was the first series that you had done that I really you know kind of perked up my ears and said, "Wow, this the Brubaker guy is someone I'm going to have to follow." Uh, how exciting is it for you to be back working with Sean on a book? Oh, it's you know I, it was I was never going to not work with Sean again. You know, it was like we were always going to do something you know after Sleeper together. So you know and. When you see the actual first issue, like the preview pages we put online, I think are great. But the actual first issue, especially like the last ten or twelve pages of the of the art for the last for the first issue, like I, I just got the, all the finals a couple weeks ago. It's it's you know, I, I love everything Sean Sean's done with me, and and you know I'm not trying to diss the first half of of the issue, but the last half of the issue, it's like Sean just hit this new plateau, and you know maybe if you put a page from the from the beginning to pitch from the end together they'll look exactly alike but to me I see like just these subtle differences and, and you know his, his confidence as a storyteller even you know seems like it, it, it hit a new level which is just amazing but um, yeah, it's interesting because you know with the way Daredevil and Captain America are doing right now where they're actually climbing up the sales charts as opposed to going down which you know Marvel tells me is a really big deal <laughs> um, like I'm, I'm getting email and, and message board posts and, you know, all this stuff from people who have never heard of me until six months ago, you know, and they've never read Sleeper. And so it's like I'm trying to sell, uh, you know, I'm getting this chance to sell for this whole new audience now for, you know, it's, it's great, actually, because we've got Criminal coming out. I think we're going to hit a lot more people with this than we did with Sleeper. And then we've got that whole franchise back there that just to sell them actually so we'll be putting that in the back of the book it's like oh you just heard of us well you know now you can go get this go check out this amazing <laughs> series absolutely <laughs> you know it's really great i mean sean and i i think this is this is uh, gonna be you know uh, something that we can do a lot more long term than sleeper because sleeper was never designed to last more than a year really and you know people don't realize that the second year of it was there because you know because jim lee really just wanted it to be there and so he asked us to to do another year of it i i I, you had told us that last year at wizard world and i couldn't believe that because the second season of that book was so good and i couldn't imagine it not being a part of that series well but you know it was just i was i think i was working on one you know the last couple issues of the first year and and I got the call from Scott Denbeer saying, you know, Jim wants to, you know, go on a hiatus for like six months and, and then release the second trade and come back, you know, with another, you know, release the second trade and, and a new, you know, season of the of the book all at the same time and give it like more of a push. And, you know, they gave it more of a push, but it's still, you know, it was a, still an uphill battle the whole time. But, um, but yeah, I, I, so some of the... You know, some of it was me sitting around and thinking, okay, well, if I was going to do more of it, like, what would make it interesting, and what what direction could we go in? And then, like, you know, once I started thinking about it and realizing I could wake up Lynch, like, a bunch of new ideas came. <laughs> nice. So, but it it ended up having the exact same ending that it was going to have all the whole way through, except with Lynch involved. But it was always it was always going to be a bad ending. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to AroundComics.com podcast new every Monday. For once, you won't be lying to your parents when you tell them you're not looking at porn. You know, I was wondering, uh, you had really seemed to come out and do some new interesting things trying to promote Criminal. You had uh, put out the, the trailer. Uh, you have, I think there's a, a Criminal theme song that you, you put together, I think. Um, you oh, have I put that together, yeah. 
and uh, and and you've you've kind of pushed it in a different way than maybe we we've seen you do other books or other uh, things. Is that I mean I, I assume that's because it isn't you know a Marvel book or a DC book, and it is your own creator own stuff. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you know how that the differences there between you know your own creator creator own work that you're trying to get out there and and the stuff that's you know doing you you've done for Marvel or DC. Well, I mean, I, I think I learned from from watching you know the, the books that I did before that I that I really you know cared about that you know did okay but didn't do as well as you would think they would do. You know, Gotham Central and Sleeper are sort of like cult books as opposed to you know Gotham Central, the guy who who does who is in the vice president in charge of like selling stuff to Hollywood at, at DC told me that, you know, everyone at Warner Brothers just loved Gotham Central, and if they hadn't had, like, a moratorium on, like, Batman TV shows, that he could have set up Gotham Central at WB, like, in a heartbeat. Wow. Because it would be like a Batman show that they barely ever had to have Batman in. Yeah, you'd <laughs> you think know? that would be perfect. And, you know, and it's a cop drama, which, you know, they know, everybody knows how to do. So, you know, the, the stuff that I've gotten the most recognition for outside of comics has always been those, you know, those more personal, smaller, you know, sort of cult-oriented things. And, you know, I never, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a reason that those books couldn't have sold more other than that people just didn't know they existed. You know, I mean, it's just, there's a wall of noise in that preview catalog, and it, you just, you have to do anything to just sort of get the word out. And I realized Going in, you know, I mean, we're taking a huge risk on this book. We're not getting, you know, page rates for it. And Sean has three kids, you know, so he can't do this book for free. If this if this monthly series doesn't hit like a certain level, we're not going to be able to keep doing it beyond, you know, a certain amount of issues because, you know, we just, you know, it just physical reality is, you know, we can't do this thing for free. None of us are 20 years old. And, um, I mean, I'll do it for free as long as I can pay Sean and Val for, to do it. But You'd prefer you know, not to. <laughs> I, would, I would prefer not to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I would prefer it to be a raging success, though. But, but you know, my, my feeling was just basically like, okay, well, what do I do to try to make sure that, that we can keep doing this for as long as we want to, you know, preferably you know, a good five or ten years. And the only thing I could think of was just to try as hard as possible to get the word out to as many, you know, fans and retailers and, you know, news sources and everything. And that was one of the reasons I thought, okay, well, when you announce a book and you show, like, a few preview pages of artwork, they're, not, they're always, like, the first five pages of the comic. or the, They're within the first five pages of the comic, which are not always the best pages. To, to show, and often it's because those are the first pages that are turned in. You know, they're not the most exciting, you know, stuff from sure. your storyline. And I had just gotten back from the movies one day and saw the preview for The Inside Man, which I think the preview, I, I like that movie a lot, but I think the preview is actually better than the movie even because it, it gives you this sense of, of, you know, this really exciting, you know, like heist picture. And then, you know, and instead the movie is actually just kind of a, a, a tense you know, heist picture instead of, you know, that something. And so I just, I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, we should just do something special to, to promote Criminal instead of actually just showing a bunch of pages from the first issue. We should actually make, like, a movie trailer on paper where we give people a sense of what the entire first storyline will feel like and a real, you know, a real hook to try to, you know, 
know, show them how the comic will be. And part of that, too, comes down to me not ever being able to come up with a one-sentence hook to try to sell a comic. <laughs> you know, like, I, I was talking to Brian Azzarello about this years ago, and he said, you know, when we, when we pitched 100 Bullets to people, we said, it's about, it's about revenge. It's, you know, what would you do if someone gave you, you know, a, a briefcase with a gun and 100 Bullets in it, and anyone you shot with that, you'd get off scot-free. You know, that's the hook to sell the book. They didn't sell the book by saying it's this incredibly complicated conspiracy <laughs> theory about the foundation of America. Yeah, that, that's you definitely the, the appetizer before dinner, if that's the... Yeah, way. exactly. So it's like I've been struggling to come up with, you know, with a good, like, one-sentence hook for criminal, and all I can think of is, you know, it's about the people who do the things that you wish you could do. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, yeah. When you're standing in the line at the bank and, and imagining what it would be like to try to rob the place, like, these are the people who actually do it. But it's you know it's it's hard to sell it's hard to come up with something like that. So I thought okay you know well then I'll just do like a preview and and show people because I'm I'm much better at the uh, at the actual work than at the hype. Well, I I completely understand where you're coming from in that regards. I mean, I was on the you know drive here today. I'm thinking wow, it, it, there there has to be something positive about like being terminally ill because I could just then run into people with my car as many times as possible or, yeah. you know, just not giving a shit, you know, yeah, not care. Anyway. Yeah. What difference does it make? You know, that, that, that sort of escapism of, of, of being able to get away with all those things we dream about, but we can't because we're civilized human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that, you know, yeah, I like, I like that. <laughs> like that all the time. You know, that's what writers, that's what writers are, just people who, you know, wish they could do stuff and instead they go home and write about it. But, um, yeah, I, so we put that, we put that trailer out and I think Sean didn't realize, and, and he said this in an interview recently too, he didn't realize we weren't just going to be able to cut and paste all those panels into the comic. He, he did it in the first issue. There's a couple, I think, that he actually ends up using, but, but, or just reusing sort of and, and redrawing aspects of them, but, he didn't realize he wasn't just going to be able to do those. And I said, well, you know, if we ever have, like, a limited edition hardback or something, now we have an extra. Yeah, you know? <laughs> nice. but, um, but we put that online, and it's had close to 20,000 downloads in the last month, which is pretty good. And I've had people, you know, I, I went to the grassroots movement sort of on this and went on Bendis Board and a couple other places and just really tried to enlist, you know, whatever fan base I've got into, into helping me out with getting the word out about the book and passing the PDF around. And I've had some phenomenal response on that. I mean, there's, there's you know, probably 60 to 75 people who responded to that by, you know, printing it out and taking it into their retailer. There's a guy who told me he was Xeroxing it. He was copying it 10 times. He, there were 10 different comic book stores within an hour of his house in New Jersey, and he was going to print out copies and take it to all of them and talk to them about the book. And some other guy said he printed it in his student paper, which, you know, goes out to like 10,000 people. And, you know, and then Kirkman, you know, stepped up to print it in Walking Dead, which comes out next week, that all the books and catalogs. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's been pretty amazing and overwhelming the amount of sort of grassroots support that has come out to, to really try to get word out about the book and, and push it on people. And then I did a thing where I printed up uh, like a limited edition ash can of the trailer and took that to San Diego and gave about half of them away there and then mailed about mailed the other half of them out to retailers, um, you know, signed copies because, you know, it's a limited edition thing. They can, they can use it to preview stuff to their customers, but they can also, you know, sell it or give it away as a product. 
eyes or something. Mark's, so. Mark's wondering where his is. Yeah, you, no, we'll, you didn't get one to Dark Tower. <laughs> what, you, you did, couldn't, couldn't ship him to Chicago? Is he on the, the comic book whatever forum? The, Does he ever go on there? I put a thread up there for people to sign up. Are you on the comic book whatever forum? Okay, so technicality. <laughs> <laughs> I think you bust him. Well, that I was going to say, I just wanted to say that the, that the, flyer... The CBIA, does he know what that is? CBIA, do you know what that is? Oh, uh-huh. he has no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, that was actually done by. Okay, email me his address and I'll send one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was actually. Two of them left. That was actually done by uh, by Pat Loika, right? The uh, the the didn't he Loika uh, create the flyer for you from the Bendis board? Oh, that thing. Yeah. No, this is something else actually. I, oh, okay. I, I actually had uh, this company Kablam. I did an ad swap with them actually, and they're getting an ad in in the First District Criminal, and they printed up. Uh, an edition of 500. It's like an actual, you know, full oh. comic. It's the five pages with like a with like a text page and the wraparound cover it's for the like first the, issue. That, actually, the ash can so. of 76. Yes, yeah, an actual ash can. Okay. Yeah, Pat did the uh, Pat put up a flyer somewhere online though, which supposedly people have been downloading and bringing into stores and stuff. So, yes. yeah, it's it's been it's been kind of amazing the amount that people have have really you know, it, it feels like everybody who kind of was mad about Gotham Central and Sleeper not doing better than they than they did. Have all decided that they need to make this book succeed, you know. But also, you know, like yesterday, apparently on the bad signal, I, I emailed Warren a, a, a and a bunch of other people like a PDF of the first issue with uh, half of it in color and half of it in black and white because it's not done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Warren like mentioned it on bad signal that he had, you know that he said it was fucking great, which you know that's great because that means he's the first person to actually have read it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Fraction, and this is uh, Around Comics, and it's a podcast that you listen to on your pod, and it's casted to your pod, and you can listen to it, and it's sweet. And I, I love it, and I love you. Uh, one thing I was going to ask is. With the uh, with the general comic population, which is already kind of a niche, how much do you think the the icon label is recognized by people, and how much is it starting to be recognized? It's like Vertigo is is, a, is an offshoot of DC, but I think that it holds enough you know water with comic fans. Where do you think Icon is right now? I think Icon is is seen more of as being sort of like Marvel's image. In a way, like I don't see, I don't see enough people. People don't really know who it is. Like I got an email today from Matt Hollingsworth asking me who what icon was. So he's coloring Daredevil. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> so clearly the, but I mean Matt is not a guy who goes to the comic store every week either. But but you know, I mean the people who know, you know, who know comics and and buy like genre comics at all outside of superheroes. You know, a lot of them have heard of Icon at least and know that it's. That it's sort of a label where sort of big name guys at Marvel get to do their creator-owned stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 very much still in its infancy, though, and and I don't think it's ever it's ever going to be as big as something like Image. There's no there's no reason for Marvel to to want it to be that big. It's it's sort of it's kind of like what their epic label was in the '80s when you know they're some of their guys who you know they wanted to keep them happy, and so they'd let them do you know this book that. You know, it was going to reach a smaller niche audience than the big name stuff that they do there, but you know, it keeps you it it, it keeps you from wandering basically, and it also keeps you from getting getting stagnant and and being unhappy because you don't get to do the kind of stuff you want to do. You know, so I mean, I'm I'm extra thrilled to to be working for them that 
icon as opposed to being in some place like Image or even Vertigo is that you're in that Marvel catalog and mm-hmm. a lot of people look at that thing and there are still, you know, there's there's probably a small percentage of retailers out there who only order stuff from Marvel, you know, who, or who, who barely order any. I mean, I've been to stores like that, that they're just like, clearly they're a Marvel store and it's, it's really hard to find anything else. So just being on that level really helps out, I think. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would like Icon to, to eventually get to the point where you know, with me and Brian and a few other people that, that I know that they've talked to about doing stuff, you know, actually keep putting out quality work there. It'll probably, you know, be considered this little, small, prestigious little line. We actually, you know, we, uh, good. we talked to uh, John Romita Jr. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, he, he, I don't know if he dropped a, a, a hint on us, but he said that he's working on something with uh, Mark Miller called Kick-Ass. Icon, so we don't know if he was pulling our leg or not. So, yeah, I don't think he is. <laughs> I think I think I think uh, I, I've heard I've heard rumors of of uh, Mark doing some stuff at Icon, but I don't know whether whether you know how far along in the schedule it is or or when it'll happen. Can you uh, can you give us a little insight as to how the deal with Icon works? I mean, obviously, it's not. You know, it's it's a Marvel-owned company, but as you sort of hinted to, you're you're not getting paid a page rate. They're publishing it. Well, it's, I, I'm sure everybody has a different deal. We we wanted uh, we wanted a deal that was that was closer to the the kind of deal that Image has, and you know, I'm sure my deal is different than Brian's and is different than JMS's or David Max. And for for you know, for me, it was just I wanted full ownership of of the thing, and I was willing to. You know, to to make that deal with them, to just you know, it's a bigger gamble, you know. But you, but the payoff, if if you if if you succeed, the payoff is so much better, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I mean, other than that, I can't really talk about the contract stuff. No, no, sure, I, sure. of course yeah. not. I, but, but basically, it's it's you know, it's a risk that we decided to take. There, you know, we probably could have worked out a deal with them that was closer to like a Vertigo or Wildstorm kind of deal. But you know, I wanted real ownership and real control and I felt like you know with scene of the crime and sleeper the you know two two projects I created you know one I don't even own like I get a get a copyright on because it takes place in the wildstorm universe and you know that was just the deal we worked out so it's, it's, it's more like planetary where we have participation but we don't own anything and we don't get you know any say in what they do with it yet it's the thing that I've created that's had the most interest in Hollywood like Six or eight months ago, before Fox renewed uh, 24, there was there was you know the last thing I ever heard about Sleeper was that you know Keeper Sutherland and Tom Fontana were like developing it as a TV show for the WB, oh, and then and then Sutherland signed on for another three years of 24. So I'm assuming that's out. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I can't but, uh, I can't see Sleeper on WB though. <laughs> yeah, I can't really. I can see it on FX or HBO. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or even Showtime, Brotherhood. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Sleeper and Scene of the Crime are things I created that were published, you know, through Vertigo and, and Wildstorm, mm-hmm. respectively. And you know, while I know that that the guy Craig Novak at DC really really likes those projects and, and takes them out and pitches them every year. You know, I, I always feel like I wish I was more involved in that process, and I'd like to have more control over it. And you know, if it's going to happen at all. And also, you know, after after a while of doing that, you know, 
I just wanted to try something the other way. I see all my friends going off and doing books of image or icon or whatever and, and having that having that control and that ownership and you know, if you succeed that, that payoff. So I just thought, all right, I wanna I wanna do something like that. So you know, I convinced Sean to sort of take the gamble with me. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, I'm just gonna throw this out there. I'm thinking maybe a criminal video game. You know, from oh, Rockstar, you know, game. something like that. I think. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, you know, just throwing that out there. The guys who did Hitman can approach me about the rights after they listen to this podcast. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love a, a, a criminal video game. It would, it would be awesome actually. You could have a game with it took place in like, you know, a city like Grand Theft Auto where you actually planned like heists and stuff. There you go. Hey. I think you got to talk to Paul Jenkins. I know he does video games and stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will talk to Paul after we get the first couple issues out, maybe. Right, there you <laughs> go. Nice. You know, just, I, just want an, I just want an appearance by C.O. Salazar in there somewhere. That's all I'm asking for <laughs> in the video You'll game. Be the first guy whacked. <laughs> nice. Well, we had some guys on uh, about a month and a half ago or so doing another crime book, and uh, want to know if you were if you had uh, heard about the Cross Bronx, which is oh yeah, yeah. I have the uh, PDF waiting to read down in my office of the first issue. Yeah, it's it's just kind of nice to see some really good uh, crime noir and other street-level uh, fiction really getting some attention and some, some great names on it. So Yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm really hoping that they do well with that because that's, you know, that, the art that Mike's doing on that looks really good, and I think Ivan is a great writer who needs, you know, a little bit more recognition. Absolutely, oh, a lot more recognition, really. You know, we yeah, Ivan Brandon and uh, Michael Avenomian, by the way, on Cross Bronx. So please check that yeah. out. But um, uh, what can it, you know, through your career, you've had you know such a, a great feel for street level uh, stories, and of course, you're doing a lot of superhero stuff now. Um, is is street level really where you feel comfortable? I would say I try to be a fairly versatile writer in general. I think I think the fact that I'm Someone who likes to write mysteries and and crime stories and things like that really benefits me writing the superhero stuff. But you know, I, I'm fairly eclectic in my taste. I, I like almost, you know, I think the only genre that I don't like in literature is probably romance. And you know, but I'll read romance comics from like the 50s. But um, you know, I, I like anything that's good in any genre. And I've always wanted to do you know, other other genres in my in my comics work. I you know, one of my dreams is to get rich enough that I can retire and just write jughead comics for for the you know, for Archie all all day long. Why can I, I see that? That, that would be that would be if I that would be my version of retirement would be to get up and write jughead stories every day. But but also, you know, I would love to write a romance comic and, you know, with the X Men I felt like, okay, here's my chance to do a giant space opera. Yeah. You know, and then I started working on it and realized, you know, these characters are actually really fun to write. Writing the superhero action parts is sometimes a bit harder than I expected it to be because they all have superpowers, which, you know, is a little bit different than Captain America and Daredevil, you know, who have their own fair, you know, share of, of minor superpowers. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. But I, I've always looked at, you know, that the model of Alan Moore as someone who, you know, could do any kind of story. I mean, I think the only kind of story I haven't really tried to do is a horror story. And that's probably because I'm just, I don't think I'd be very good at it. Is that, that's because, but, that's because Remender beat you to the, uh, vampires. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be more of a, of a character piece. I mean, all my stuff is, is really just character drama thrown into different directions. But, you know, 
one of the things I, I really try to tap into when I do the superhero stuff is that sort of iconic, over-the-top, you know, roots of, of where the stuff comes from. And if you really, the roots of Marvel Comics is, is a combination of, like, the pulp mags and Shakespeare. You know, it's sure. like Stan Lee writing this really over-the-top, you know, over-dramatic stuff, which is exactly the same kind of stuff that Shakespeare was doing in his day. Or, or Raymond Chandler or something said that, it, you know, people don't realize now that, that Shakespeare was just a popular writer. He was looked down upon in his day. And it's, it's only hundreds of years later that people look at it as literature. At the time, he was just trying to hit as, many, as big an audience as he could possibly get. And, you know, if he'd been alive in, like, the 1920s, he would have been working for, like, Black Mask or someplace. <laughs> and uh, and I look at the Stan Lee stuff in the 60s and just think, well, yeah, and if he'd been alive in the 60s, he'd have been, like, knocking on Marvel or trying to write Spider-Man, which is basically like Hamlet in a high school. Yeah, I remember somebody, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said if Shakespeare was alive today, he'd be writing sitcoms. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, he'd have been working on Friends. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it would have been... Would have been like Hamlet and Friends. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you... but uh, I, I, I really think that you can, you know, you can look at everything. Like Daredevil is a pulp comic. You know, Captain America is like a is like a pulp like thriller spy spy book, really. And the X Men is like, you know, it's it's literally it's space opera. Well, talking about the X Men, I was wondering. I wanted to ask you. You know, a lot of your work in the past. No, has... I won't be using Adam X. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Damn, forget it. I'm canceling. I'm, oh, thank God. Um, I was wondering what you found the difference between writing, you know, most a lot of your work has been solo characters or, you know, basically one character in the story. Um, but the X-Men is a, a totally different dynamic. I mean, you have this cast of characters that you have to somehow get screen time for all of them at some point. Oh, yeah. Have you found it difficult <laughs> at all? I mean, have you, you know... That's a... That's... You know, I, I had kind of a breakthrough finally after my fourth issue. I realized, like, okay, wait a second. Not every single one of them needs, like, an important scene in every issue. Sometimes they just need to be there for the fight scene. You know, and then and then I realized with X-Men, going back and rereading, like, the first hundred issues or so of the new X-Men years, you know, from 94 up, I, I, I think I read, actually, I probably read about 200 issues of those, wherever the essentials end. Um, but... There, there are often issues of X-Men that have very little action and they're just all character pieces with just, you know, with maybe a, the action on three or four pages. And I realized people like the X-Men as characters. They, they sort of do take over, though. It's sometimes hard to fit the action in because these characters just want to stand around and whine at each other for 22 pages. <laughs> and it's one of the longest-running soap operas in comic history. It really is, and, and I respect that completely. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do is just sort of simplify it a little bit and do the kind of stuff that I really like. Like when I went back and reread that stuff, like I think all the way through the whole Paul Smith run, it's it's really great. And I mean, there's there's great ideas happening through all of the stuff even after that. I think I think uh, that you know my my only reservation with it when when going back and rereading it was that. It got to the point where there were so many characters and so many different plot lines that were unresolved that when you get around issue 200 or so, they just start sort of overlapping each other, and and I just lost track. And and you know, I remember as a kid even just being like, well, "What is going on in all these you know with all these characters? And who's this person from an alternate future?" And you know, just just sort of getting lost in the details of it. So when I when uh, when Joss Whedon started doing the Astonishing X Men. 
I remember picking up the first few issues and just being like, wow, it's like everything I liked about the X-Men. And, you know, without all those stuff that made me, like, really confused and feel like I'd missed 15 issues all the time. Yeah, that was a pretty amazing job he did of, of making you. I mean, I think everyone sort of had that same feeling was, wow, this is exactly what I loved about the X-Men. This is what I grew up on. Boiled down, yeah. but it's doesn't, it's not it doesn't feel dated or old it's mm-hmm. fresh and new and exciting but it's everything that i always wa- uh, wanted in an x-men story the biggest struggle with writing those team books and writing a book that has that kind of history is sort of still keeping it simple not letting the continuity sort of collapse on top of you i don't know there's there's a lot of you know there's a lot of continuity and a lot of i mean you're we're talking about a series where there's probably 4000 back issues or something between all the various branch offs and you know I mean, there was no possible way I could read every appearance of Warpath, and I tried. (laughs) And he's not even a popular character until, you know, three months ago. So, you know, he's a a pretty minor, you know, guy. He was, you know, ten ten rungs under Gambit on popularity level. Just just try and kill him, and then you'll find out how popular (laughs) he is, right? Yeah, I know, Banshee should have had his own series, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he had his throat cut like five years earlier and hadn't been in the comic. I'm Steve Bryant, and you're listening to Around Comics, and Tom Caters is not wearing any pants. Speaking of uh, X-Men continuity, we actually had one of our one of our favorite posters on our forum is writing a column called, um, it's a... Uh, uh, Extraneous or ex- yeah. no, examination, e- examination, because he knows that so many people are coming back to the X Men because you're writing it that he has a column that he's writing about once a week to prime people and get them caught up on X Men continuity because he knows a lot oh, of people cool. are falling out of it. Yeah, it's really cool. neat. And he's a huge X Men fan. He's very excited. I mean, I, you know, oh, I could read that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll send you the link. We'll send you the link to it. Well, the one thing I mean, the link. I better I better bone up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, examinations by uh, Dustin Drace at Around Comics. So Dustin's yeah, a great I guy. Was, I the, the the month that the first two issues came out, I I was sort of obsessively looking at all the X Men fan message boards and stuff to see if if people were liking it and uh, and. So I was I, I was reading so many things and and then after the after that I was like okay I can't sit and obsess about what X Men fans are thinking about all day like they've liked it so far and then issue three came out and I cruised by some of the message boards and I I knew that they weren't going to like it as much because it was an all Balkan issue and I knew that I was going to get a lot of flack for that but uh, okay. I was shocked you got you <laughs> I was I was a bit stunned I felt a, I felt a little like Chuck Austin for a second. This is what, what it must have felt like to have this many people hate you. And Bendis was like, see, I told you. Yeah, stay <laughs> like, off the board. Start doing the bigger books, and it, they, they turn on a dime. Sooner you know, or later. If you do a bad issue or an issue that they think is bad, you know, suddenly it's the, you know, I hate this Brubaker guy. He's, this is, he's padding it out, you know. So I thought that was really funny, but uh, I liked uh, a lot of people were predicting what the next Vulcan issue was going to be, and uh, I saw that almost, you know, other than like one point that someone made, I think every single one of them was just so far off that I was I got really excited. I'm like, okay, they're gonna love the next Vulcan issue then, because none of them realized that you know I spent the first I spent the first four chapters of this X Men story sort of laying the foundation to let everybody know because I you know I know there's you know there's always new readers to anything. And you're doing a 12 issue story, you've got to lay the groundwork before you can kind of yank the rug out from under people. So. I felt like I needed to make sure everybody knew who all the characters were. They knew who the history of the Shi'ar to a certain degree, and 
Well, you know, you've had a pretty golden touch so far. I mean, you've you killed Foggy Nelson, you killed uh, you killed Banshee, you brought back Bucky, and nobody's really complained to this point too much. So, well, I you, didn't actually kill Foggy. <laughs> well, no, but well, everyone I, thought I, I, you okay, did. Spoilers. <laughs> that was what was great is that people were like, "He killed Foggy. Brubaker will kill anybody. Did you see his cap? He, he brought back Bucky and killed the Red Skull." I'm like, I haven't actually killed any. I mean, I, I killed some. I killed some third tier, like you know, minor characters who hadn't been used in 20 years. But uh, other than Banshee, I haven't actually killed anybody. <laughs> yeah, and we're not for sure about that yet. But uh, <laughs> I tried to kill the Black Mask in an issue of Catwoman, and then like a year later, they just brought him back so, without like ever mentioning how he survived the fall. <laughs> uh, that's comics. You know, we we don't so, we don't want to kiss your ass too bad. But Sal and I work uh, uh, together uh, during the day, and we had both read the uh, the issue of Daredevil, the wrap up of uh, Devil and Cell Block D. And that was one hell of a piece of misdirection and sleight of hand in that story. That was uh, that was a really nice wrap up to that story arc. Oh, thanks, thanks. It was really hard to sit on the Foggy not not really dead thing, especially as I got tons of hate mail about Foggy. Even from <laughs> people who were loving the book, they were still they still couldn't quite let go of the fact that I'd killed Foggy. Uh, I, I kept wanting to tell people just wait, just yeah. wait. But even saying just wait kind of gives it away. Yeah, yeah. I was pi- I was pissed you brought him back. I I was glad you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you were pissed I brought him back. <laughs> I was going to reveal at the end of the second issue that he was really still alive, and and uh, then I you know, but Joe Casada convinced me to hold off till the end of the first storyline. It was it was perfect. Joe would have preferred I hold off for like a year. Oh God! <laughs> but I was like. I don't think I don't think my nerves can handle it. <laughs> it, it was perfect, well, and 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 the the bright shiny lights with the whole uh, mystery daredevil to kind of you know keep your eyes off that was awesome. Really loved. Oh that. yeah. I I I did want to say I mean reading that issue I, I there were so many wow moments in that in that issue that uh, that just blew me away. So, but enough about that. Let's talk about a new <laughs> book that you've got coming out soon. With uh, with uh, someone we've talked to before, Matt Fraction, uh, you, the two of you are working on the Immortal Iron Fist. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I'm really excited and about this. W- yeah. Where the heck this I'm, came from? I'm an old old Iron Fist fan, and, and I can't wait to see him back kicking some ass. Yeah. Well, I had called dibs on Iron Fist like a long time ago uh, when I first got to Marvel and 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 was out there for like a lunch one day. I said, look, I really want to do Iron Fist at some point, and you know, so don't let anybody else do an Iron Fist series. And so it was sort of like penciled in that someday I would do Iron Fist. And when, you know, when I was doing the, the Daredevil storyline and, you know, and I knew I was going to use Iron Fist as the second Daredevil, my editor, Warren, was like, well, we should do the Iron Fist mini after this. And it was going to be a mini series originally. And then, you know, I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to be ready that soon to do it. And they got such a phenomenal response, like, from you know, internally, like, people who knew that it was Iron Fist was like, oh, come on, let's do Iron Fist. There's never going to be a better time to do Iron Fist. So I got sort of, you know, I kept getting controlled by Warren, and I said, okay, well, look, the only way I'm going to be able to do it is if I just co-write it with somebody then. And it was just going to be a five-issue miniseries originally, but then when we revealed that Iron Fist was the second Daredevil, finally, when that issue came out, like, that Daredevil sold out at most stores around the country within, like, 48 hours or something like that and wow. and then they announced you know at the end of that issue it announces the, the, the Immortal Iron Fist and luckily I didn't say miniseries but people went insane and then you know between retailers and readers contacting 
Marvel and posting online about it, like, by Monday morning, like, I emailed somebody, I'm like, maybe we should do it as a monthly, and, and everybody at Marvel had already changed their minds on that, too, so <laughs> only it was a monthly, and it was bumped up from February to November, <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> oh, by the so, way, Ed, uh... You know, it was bumped up on the schedule, you know, and, and we have the artist who's, you know, who's working on it, who's doing the next picture of Daredevil, which comes out in, like, a week, and that guy's amazing. Who's doing the art it's, on it? Uh, David Aja. Oh, that's he's right. A Spanish, that's okay. He's a Spanish guy. He drew the main story for the giant size Wolverine that's coming out, nice. and he's got. He works in a number of different styles, but the style that he's that he's doing Daredevil in is. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Really, he's got. It's 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 like his style has influences from like Bernie Wrightson and and like you know Bissett and Tottleben and these guys, but at the same time, it's also got this this great composition sense and it almost looks like a combination of, of like those guys and like an Alex Maleev or something like that but he can also draw in this sort of more cartoony hip hop kind of style too so he's he's an incredibly versatile illustrator who I guess has only been working in comics for a few years now but I think he's going to be just enormous when you see that issue of Daredevil next week you'll see what I mean there's there's a couple scenes in there that just knocked me on my ass how did you get hooked up with Matt Fraction on this project? Um, I've just known Matt sort of for a few years and, and been watching his stuff and I knew that he was in at Marvel because um, when he was pitching for the Punisher book, I sort of helped sort of shepherd him through that process a little bit and let him know, you know, just sort of was, was someone he could talk to and about like, you know, how to how to get the stuff so he didn't give Axel too much or too little or you know anything to just sort of get him up to date on on the Marvel universe in a way because he wasn't really that into it and uh, so you know he we were already communicating about the Punisher stuff and and he needed to talk to me about the Punisher stuff with Daredevil and Captain America and stuff like that because of Civil War so we'd already been talking a lot and when the idea of using a co-writer came up I gave him a list and Fraction's name was on the list and they had had so much success with with pairing Bendis with Brian Reed for the the Spider Woman origin thing and then being able to launch Brian Reed as sort of a as sort of a name guy after that. And, you know, but Brian Reed is really well known and and, and the video game industry and really well respected there. You know, he was not known to comics people at all, but, you know, his Ms. Marvel book launching out of House of M launched higher than, you know, Warren and Alice and I launched our, like, Captain America and Iron Man books. And they just kind of felt like it would help Matt in a way, too. It would help raise Matt's profile for them a little bit to be paired up with me on this book. And I was like, yeah, that's great, you know. I, I love Matt's stuff. And, you know, if I was, and, you know, knowing Matt that he likes to explode, you know, <laughs> it was perfect because it was like, I want this book to to be, you know, I want it to be a kung fu book. I don't want it to be a book about a bunch of guys sitting around and meditating and talking about Kung Lun. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing that the guy who's writing Casanova is doing Punisher and Iron Fist. It's going to be real interesting. And Matt's yeah. a great writer, but it's going to be interesting to see the difference and, and how he works around that. So, and you're They're also, not really that different, other than I think I think Punisher is probably just as funny and dense as Casanova. And, and with Iron Fist, I think what we're... We're going, you know, I'm, I'm trying to push Matt in a few different directions, but I also, you know, I, I don't want it to be, I want it to be the Iron Fist comic that I always wanted when I was a kid. You know, like, I was really mad when Iron Fist 
arm and an iron fist, and I certainly bought it. But you heathen! I just wanted an Iron Fist book, and I like <laughs> I, I even like you know Luke Cage's solo book. Like I would buy, I would have bought both books as solo books. I didn't need like the ten speed and brown shoe thing. So there's you no chance no chance of Bendis giving you uh, Power Man, uh, Luke. You know, <laughs> to, to, to... Well, I, I I have plans to you know to have some appearances for, with Luke and Misty and and the, and the various cast, but really I'm I'm trying to find a way to make Iron Fist this book. You know, Matt and I have been talking about it a lot and and we really want the book to have a sort of balance somewhere between like you know, this really cool kung fu Hong Kong action kind of book and also, you know, a sort of Agent of Shield kind of, you know, crazy espionage thing that which is something that, you know, Master of Kung Fu, the Shang Chi book always had a little bit of of that feel, but you know, I wanna mix that with the sort of corporate espionage angle too because you know Danny Rand is is basically a kung fu billionaire right. who runs like an international conglomerate and I thought you know let's actually explore that a little bit and, and use that angle as our way into the sort of you know international espionage kind of thing and you know but but to do that in a way that where somebody's getting kicked or punched on almost every page <laughs> you know <laughs> right. a lot of boardroom scenes it's, uh, it's like and, and also to do it in a way that finds a balance with that sort of Eastern mysticism stuff that Iron Fist is based on. So it's it's a real juggling act to try to get the exact right elements in and still make it feel like like there's really a driving force of, of action behind everything, too. But I think, you know, he's a really cool character, and I, I, I've said this in a few of our meetings. I, I truly believe the only reason that Iron Fist comic in the 70s did not succeed was because of the Capri pants and the ballet shoes. <laughs> That's the only thing wrong with that with that costume is that you know, I, and I really think it's that somebody gave Gil Kane like uh, a, a magazine of pictures of people in kung fu outfits, and he saw that all the kung fu geese ended around the cab, and so he'd just have Iron Fist cut, like leggings end there. But it's like, yeah, nobody has skin tight pants that ends there who does kung fu. <laughs> well, you know, and it, it, it just looks dumb. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was like, "Why doesn't he have boots? <laughs> Why is he wearing ninja boots like the guys in the Chuck Norris movie?" It's 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 the traditional Kun Loon, uh, you know, honorable. I don't know who knows. It is no, dumb, no, but no, it's not. <laughs> 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 they were changing the boot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, get over it, fanboys. <laughs> we we've been working really hard to to slightly tweak the classic Iron Fist look so that we don't lose everything that's cool about it, but at the same time make it something that seems actually functional and that, that covers up his calves. Well, let's, uh, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. There's no, no question about it. I know a lot of people are. It's so. going to be pretty awesome. It's going to go in, in a lot of different directions and uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a fascinating, you know, character and, and there's a history to you know, to it. The, the the reason that I always wanted to do it was because in the old Iron Fist, there's like a scene where the Steel Serpent first sees the Iron Fist costume when he's a little kid and he's Lee Kung the Thunderer's son. son. And Lee Kung says, you know, there's the, there's the garb of the immortal Iron Fist. And I always thought, where'd that costume come from? <laughs> like, someone else must have worn that costume some, at some point. Like, they didn't... You know, they didn't just know that someday, lo, there will come an iron fist, you know. And, 
So it's out there. So, yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely. I never thought of it that way. That yeah. It, it, so that's that's part. Of, well, apparently, someone in the in the nineties there was two issues of Iron Fist before it got canceled, and at some point they 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 revealed. Actually, I thought it was my invention, but they revealed that there were you know dozens of people who'd been the Iron Fist throughout you know the entire history of Kunlun, and I thought, okay, well. Uh, I was, it wasn't an original thought, but, I, but hopefully I'll be able to explore it in a, in a way that makes the book stay around longer. <laughs> but, you know, the opening scene in the comic is actually, you know, one of those past Iron Fists doing something, and then it cuts to Danny Rand. And you know, I just like the juxtaposition of history and the thought that, you know, that Danny Rand is not just, you know, this kung fu superhero. He's part of a, he's part of a legacy, you know, and that's something that, you know, that is, that is really interesting and that isn't explored that often. So I, there's there's going to be some of that. We're gonna we're gonna actually meet the sort of pulp age Iron Fist, the guy who was like Iron Fist, like you know, in World War One and, and the time period after that. And, well, that brings me know. that brings me to something. As long as I got you here, I, I kind of want to pitch at you, and and it's nothing. It's not no pitching. No, well, no, I'm not not from that <laughs> not from that angle. I just want to see because I'm a huge Captain America fan, and oh yeah, and I personally think that even in your short run of Captain America, you've already done one of the best. Captain America runs of all time, and well, I, clearly, what? No, I'm serious. <laughs> but anyway, what I want to see is 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 you and and somehow you get Ed Brubaker to, or I mean, uh, um, not Ed Brubaker. Jeez, what's uh, Michael Gre- No, Greg uh, uh, Rucka. Oh, to come oh. over to Marvel, and I want to see an Invaders book. Yes, you you oh, need really? to do an Invaders book. Y- you and Rucka and and Steve Epting doing an Invaders book. Me and Rucka and Steve Epting. Huh? What, do you, what do you think? <laughs> Any chance yeah, I don't of that? Know if that's going to happen anytime <laughs> soon, but uh, sometime eventually, before we die. The Winter Soldier special is going to have some Invader stuff in it. Actually, it's got it's got it's it's got Bucky's Last Christmas in it before he before uh, he got blown up by Baron Zemo. Now that you've listened to the podcast, head to the forum section of AroundComics.com to post your thoughts on the show and talk with other comic fans from around the globe. We're going to move into some forum questions we've had we've had the interview posted on the forum for the last week or so and had a lot of questions posted and the first question was along with the announcement of the delay of civil war marvel snuck in an announcement for a cap winter soldier civil war one shot is uh brew going to be involved with this and this question is from scott cedarland here in chicago so i guess that's a, a yes yeah, yeah, I'm writing it. I, I pitched it. It was something that I'd been talking to Tom about for a while before we ended up pitching it as, you know, as something to do in December because, you know, because of the Civil War delay, we have to delay Cap a little bit because Cap 25, which is, you know, a double-sized issue that's like a special, you know, 25th anniversary or 25th issue thing, comes it takes place about a half an hour after the final issue of Civil War and it, it's the sort of explosive lead into the next year of Cap actually so we had to uh, we had to delay that until Civil War is over and so I said well okay well then let's you know uh, let's let's do something else Cap related you know for December then and you know and let's let's do that Winter Soldier project that you know we've we've kicked around and you know let's get someone really great to draw it and and you know it'll be great we'll do this this issue that's just you know the Winter Soldier at Christmas because what a terrible time for a guy like that especially yeah. during the Civil War you know you're alienated from everyone you know just about or everyone and and the people that you've ever cared about in your life are all either dead or in the midst of civil war <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so I thought it'd be a really interesting 
you know, and and apt like winter special actually. Well, after you <laughs> did after that that one uh, the I think it was the annual the annual yeah. that you did uh, and the story with Bucky and uh, or I'm, oh, yeah, yeah the 65th anniversary that was just uh, some amazing ride. I just love that story and and and. To flesh out that character that we saw, you know, that we really have never seen much about Bucky other than the fact that he died. And, yeah. And to see you go back and, and, you know, bring him back, but not only that, see how you flesh that character out and his history has just been, you know, great to, to watch as a fan. Yeah. He stars in, uh, in Cap 23 as well. It shows what he's sort of doing during the early days of the Civil War and what he does. Uh, Cap, uh, Cap 21 comes out in a few days. Or a few weeks, I should say, and um, and he's he's in that. You know, at the end of that, you sort of see where where it looks like he's going to be going. I don't want to I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but um, but Cap, you know, the couple of issues later the, in the Civil War tie-ins, he stars in an issue, and, and you see sort of you know what side he's on, I guess, and and where he falls in this whole thing, and and who he's who he's dealing with and sort of, you know, I don't want to reel too much about it, but it's pretty kick-ass. Nice. Well, at some point, we're, we're going to have to have you back on just to talk about Captain America because that, that's a whole other subject. But we have, a, we have a bunch of more questions from our forum members. And, 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 all right. Let's, uh, let's, let's rattle through them. All right. The next one is from Matt Fraction in Missouri. He said, uh, yep. Ed, what do you hate more, Iron Fist short pants and Kung Fu booties, lower half, or his spawn collar and little Stevie head wrap, upper half? And why? Definitely the booties. <laughs> I think I've addressed this. Yeah, really yeah. <laughs> you, you got to. I like the I like the mask, and I, even the collar though it goes up way too high. We're fixing that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose the look of the collar, but I also it's like the Batman movie. The only complaint I have about Batman Begins is that Batman should be able to turn his head in a fight. <laughs> you know, like, they should still they should be able to figure out a way to make a Batman costume where the neck can work. But but uh, you know that's my only complaint with the with Iron Fist collar is it really doesn't make sense to have a collar that cuts off all peripheral vision when you're a kung fu master. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Matt was nice enough to send us that that question via email, and so. he's like asking, make sure and ask him that he'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our what next a one. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, we we you love. Know, his wife dyes her hair. It's not really red. <gasps> Don't you dare talk about Kelly Sue that way. We've, we've had to defend Kelly Sue Don't on a couple that. of... <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, you're going to bring um, the ire of the image boards down on ye. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is from Equinox. I'm just uh, trying to steal her from him to uh, join my family. So. Oh. Kelly Sue is wonderful. We, we love yeah. her. Um, while he probably came in with a certain perspective to Daredevil, after working with Bendis on a seamless transition, how does he approach coming into a new title with established characters? For example, did he come into the X-Men hoping to set up a new world order, or just to build on what had come before? Uh, a little bit of both, really. I mean, you never want to just... I think that's been the problem with a lot of, a lot of you know, mainstream stuff, is that you, if you go in too reverential and you don't want to you don't want to change the the deck chairs around on the titanic a little bit and you know you just you're just gonna do stuff that people don't remember later you have to one of the beauties of the x-men in the early days was that the status quo was constantly changing and it was i think that's one of the reasons that that book succeeded more than the other marvel books at the time it, you know yes it was 
it was you know using those characters in a completely different way and it was the first real sort of modern soap opera comic but also you just never knew what was going to happen in that book it was crazy you know i mean you know phoenix dies and cyclops quits and you know you're just you know when i was 13 or 14 years old when that came out that blew me away you know and i think that you have to do stuff like that. You have to shake things up and you have to change the status quo in these books because otherwise you're just, you know, doing stories that are just marking time. So, you know, I, but to do it right, you build on what's come before and, you know, you can touch on these classic stories, but you don't have to leave it the same as you found it necessarily as long as, you know, anything that you've changed should, my feeling is, you know, uh, you know, it's the same with bringing back Bucky, kind of. Like, does bringing back Bucky change anything fundamental about what makes Captain America Captain America? And if it changes that, which, you know, it changes, yes, okay, the tragedy of Bucky didn't, you know, now Bucky didn't die, and that's changed. But is there still, a, a, you know, just a, a, just as great of, like, a moral tragedy for Captain America that that is then replaced by that? And there is, you I, know, with I, the Winter I, Soldier story. I felt, that's why I felt like it was... And that's why I felt like it was okay to do that. But with, um, you know, with and with this whole Shi'ar story, you know, the way I pitched it, you know, I wanted to do a Shi'ar story that, that reminded people of those first early Shi'ar stories when the Shi'ar were crazy and scary and, you know, they were trying to kill Lalandra and then they were trying to kill Phoenix and, you know, it's like they were, they were something that you were excited when there was a story with them and it not like, you know, oh, great, another Shi'ar story that's not going to matter and that's just going to have the X-Men in it. And so, you know, for me, it was like, I want to do a Shi'ar story where by the end of it, people are like, oh, my God, I can't wait till they do another Shi'ar story. <laughs> you know, so that's that's been the plan all along was to, to sort of lay that foundation and then really, you know, really screw with it and really mess it up and leave the Shi'ar in a place that you've never seen them before. Featherless? <laughs> no, was, no, not that, not that place. Okay. All right. Next one is. So from... I'll be wearing capri pants and, and ballet shoes. <laughs> Becomes the new imperial outfit. <laughs> uh, this next one is from John Sokol. He said, at one point when uh, Dead Enders was canceled, you had posted on the Warren Ellis forum that you were very down on wait for the trade camp. What is your feeling about trade waiting now? Well. I, you know, I'm conflicted about it because there are books where I wait for the trade, and I and 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 I always feel a little bit bad though when I do that because it's. It, I, I guess I make a distinction. If you're if you're a comic book fan right now, it's unfortunate that you can't be just a casual fan. If you're if you're a fan of stuff outside of Marvel and DC, if you're a fan of Marvel and DC, you can be a casual fan. You know. You can just buy the books that you want to buy on a monthly basis, and you can you can safely assume that most of the stuff is going to get collected. And if you feel like not reading, you know, Teen Titans, and you want to wait for the trade paperback, I just grabbed that one out of the air because I saw a copy of Teen <laughs> Titans. But um, if you want to wait for the trades on those, you know, Teen Titans is not going to get canceled. But if you want books like Cell and Casanova and Criminal and Powers and any of the you know vertigo books that do under twenty thousand. If you want any of those books to keep going, you got to actually buy the comics and and buy the trades. If you want the trade for your bookshelf, you know the trade is is the ultimate goal of a lot of those books. You know, selling Casanova, the the monthly is actually you know mm-hmm. it's serving its own purpose there. But you know, for a lot of the vertigo stuff and a lot of the wild film stuff and a lot of the Marvel stuff. 
a lot of a lot of stuff now. The trade is you know is the final product that that's going to exist. And as long as the comic sales subsidize enough to put those trades out, everyone's happy. But you know, books and image that are barely scraping by. You know, if you want them to last more than one trade, you got to buy the comic. It's, it's unfortunate. You know, it's too bad. You've got to vote with your wallet on that one. And I always feel bad when I see people who are like buying every Marvel and DC comic that comes out, telling me they can't afford to buy, you know, Casanova or Fell. It's dollars. Yeah. You know, and if you don't buy the book and you want that kind of, you know, like I'll wait for the trade for that, and it's like you'll wait for the trade for the marginal stuff that that we're lucky even gets to store shelves. You know, but you'll but you'll buy every version of you know of New Avengers covers and and you know all the variants for Civil War. You know, and it's like, come on, you know, like, not to diss that stuff or say stop buying Marvel comics in any way, shape, or form, but, <laughs> you know, but no, if you we, want we... that other stuff to exist, you know, unfortunately it's not popular enough and it's not successful enough that it doesn't need the people who actually want that kind of comic to buy it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, so you're... it's very, I'm very conflicted. Like, I feel like as a customer, people should just be able to wait for the trades, mm-hmm. you know, but unfortunately, you know, the best case scenario is you just didn't know about a book. Like I, you know, I, I literally hear from a, like a dozen people a day or so now who are just discovering Sleeper, and they're so happy that they can buy four trade paperbacks all in one fell swoop and, and read the whole thing in once. You know, and that's great. And I don't, I don't feel bad for them that they never supported the book before, or, or, or mad at them that they never supported the book before because they never heard of it. You know, but if you've actually heard of like a book that sounds like something that you're interested in, and you decide to wait for the trade, you're pretty much saying, "I hope this book gets canceled." Right. You know, hey, you and know that, that's that's just it's the sad reality of the marketplace. Talking you about know, if, if you're going to wait for the trade, wait for the trade on you know, wait for the trade on All Star Superman or All Star <laughs> Batman. So, you know, something that's not going to get canceled. canceled. Sure. Wait, wait that's... for the trade on DC Comics. Oh, <laughs> ah, there it is. Boom. <laughs> Since I don't work for them. <laughs> wait for the trade on well, Gotham Central because those came out so frequently. Yeah, well, people who waited for the trade on Gotham Central had to wait two years for the first trade. We were, you know, the book was practically done by the time they put. I mean. The, first, the second trade came out, and the book was, you know, that storyline that, that was in the second trade had won the Eisner Award the year before that, you know, and it still didn't come out in trade paperback for another year. So, yeah, sometimes you have to wait a long time for a trade. By the time the third Gotham Central trade came out, the book was over, you know. Yeah, it's, so it's, it is a... You know, I just I feel bad about it because I know eventually the, the market is going to shift more that way, but I think... The waiting for the trade crowd needs to realize that sometimes when you wait for the trade, you're guaranteeing that there will only be one trade for for you know a book. It's it's and, certainly a double. You know, ed- any book that's selling under twenty thousand, there's no guarantee that that book is going to continue ever. You know, so unless a, unless a book is selling over twenty thousand, waiting for the trade, you know, you're voting you're voting against that book's survival, unfortunately, and that's just a, that's just a fact. You know, and and. You hear me, Goddard or whatever your name is. <laughs> Goddard, Goddard from Goddard. the Bendis board. You hear me, all those people on on Bendis board who say they're going to wait for the trade. Bruno Batista, where, wherever you are out there, who's already <laughs> waiting for the trade for Criminal. <laughs> if you don't want to keep the comics, buy the comic and give it away to someone else. 
I tell you what, I've actually I've started give it away to give it away to charity and write it off on your taxes, you know, and then buy the trade when it comes out. I've but. started this with my with my comic shop here. I buy a lot of the single issues, but I love trades because they're collected and I can let I don't, people buy. Yeah, I don't uh, almost there, I keep almost no comics. I give away almost every issue of every comic that I buy or that I get for free. I keep the trade paperbacks that I want, you know, and I and I'll loan those out to people if I want to, you know. My my best friend's wife loves powers because one day when she was pregnant, she just came over looking for some stuff to read, and she then she flipped through a copy of Powers and loved Oming's art, and she's like, "Do you have any any trade paperbacks of this?" And I gave her like nine trade paperbacks, and now it's her favorite comic. Every time I see her, she's asking me if Brian Michael Bendis has been to visit. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to stay inside and listen to AroundComics.com, especially during daylight hours. Seriously, it's spring, and the glint off your pasty white comic geek skin could blind someone. Hey, is there any? Uh, you know, reminded me about something else. Um, you were you were on the the authority for a while. Are we going to see any more authority from you, or is that? No, just I just you know with the authority, it seems like bad luck to do more than twelve issues. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to have a curse to it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, I did more than I did more than than I did. I did the same amount that that Warren did. <laughs> that's, that's enough. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, hey, I want to um um talking about trades, and I I think this may oh, go. Sorry, I'm, my, my dog is barking. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> this killer the chihuahua. <laughs> There's no one there. There's no one there. I have the tiniest, ferocious dog in the world. <laughs> okay, what's what's its name? Okay, so next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's what's your dog's name? <laughs> oh, my dog's name is Watson. Well, of course, <laughs> he's, a, um, he's a miniature wire-haired dachshund. You can look at a picture of him wearing a wearing a tiny sweater on my, on my MySpace page. I, I didn't even know you had a MySpace page. Is it MySpace.com? I had him as my profile picture for a while because I was trying to get I was trying to get a lot of young girls. That's what dog put me on his top friends list, and I'm like, oh, I better put up a cute picture instead of a picture of this creepy old guy in a hat. <laughs> How long have you had that hat? Uh, I got that hat about a year and a half ago. I had another hat before that, but I got that one at Mrs. Deuson's in in San Francisco because uh, I was down there for a wedding and I was buying a hat for that. And uh, and she and she said, "Where do you live?" And I said, "Seattle." And she said, "Oh, well, you have to get a rain hat." <laughs> and so uh, it's kind of an Indiana Jones style hat in a way, but it's gray. Yeah, we remember oh, from oh, last yeah. year. We yeah, saw we, you we had a Wizard that. World. Hey, why weren't you at Wizard World this year? Yeah, what's up with that? I Chicago. Didn't Sorry. Go. <laughs> we we missed we we missed you so I'm much. I went to Wizard year. World, Texas. Texas. That's not Chicago. Yeah. That's Texas. I wanted to go to more conventions after Criminal came out instead of beforehand because I wanted to actually. If I, you know, it's so hard to travel when you work for yourself because you never get days off. Like I, I you know, every time I have to take a trip. It's you know for a convention I have to get more work done before I leave and catch up after I get back. So. Well, it's not it's not like you're working on five books right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's not like I'm behind on like half of them most uh, of the time. Don't but, say that. Uh, don't no, say no, that. We'll edit that out. Are, are you gonna yeah. make it, Are you gonna make it to Chicago next year and uh, bring your partner in crime, uh, Mike Lark, with you? I might. I don't know. It's 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 all up in the air. I, I'm trying to. Uh, the next year of my life is basically all about trying to get farther ahead on everything that I'm working on so that I can actually spend more time with my family. Because <laughs> uh, 
they're getting a little bit sick of me working seven days a week around here. Yeah. But um, as much as we like it, uh, we we yeah. understand their position. <laughs> I so. just, I you know, between I, I've I've got a lot of trips planned for the last part of the year. I'm going to you know two two conventions and you know one in October and one in November, and we've got like a signing down in Tacoma, and I've got to do some some traveling for family stuff because my mom's husband of 20 years died earlier this year and so oh, it's been kind of a rough year for the family but um but you know i you know i would have loved to have gone to chicago they just you know it just it just was bad timing i had just gone to san diego right before that and those conventions really need to be about a month apart yeah they do i, I went to, i went to chicago too close together yeah, i want chicago to flip with philadelphia in the wizard world and and have ours a little bit earlier in the year for that reason yeah, but then that's right around the time of the Emerald City show, which is becoming a pretty good show. That's what we've oh, heard. It's already a good show, but it's it's becoming like a much more higher attended one, I think. Well, it's all all you all you writers are living in the Pacific Northwest now, and with Rocket yeah, so we love Columbus. the Emerald City show because <laughs> I don't have to. I don't actually have to go anywhere. It's, it's like I actually have people come over here. <laughs> <laughs> Crashing at Ed's place. Uh-huh. Um, hey, you know we, we we met you last year uh, at Wizard World. We were we were lucky enough to spend a little time with you last year, hang out and talk to you. And and you were just being announced as the as the writer of Daredevil. And I think Cap came out just before Cap was that, about like issue four. Or something. Um, yeah. What's life hey, you like? Guys are, you guys are probably still even speak to you now that it's a year later. <laughs> <laughs> we're shocked. <laughs> What 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 has the last year been like for Ed Brubaker? I think that's where Sal was. Yeah, I, I mean it's been. A, I will. I well, will. I think I, Ed Brubaker's just trying to figure out who Ed. <laughs> so Ed, no, I my old sports thing. I, I remember. I remember this conversation. We were walking down a hallway at the at the Hyatt there, and I looked at you and I was like, "Dude, this is your coming out party." This you know at that at that convention, and you looked at me. It's like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like. Who are you again? Yeah. I think is what he said. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but man, it's been an awesome year. What's it been like for you? It's been a little weird. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's uh I mean, I got an when I got an email like a couple months ago from, you know, some one of the vice presidents at Marvel, you know, who was telling me that Cap and Daredevil were going up in sales like a couple thousand a month and that, you know, while neither of them are in the top 10, you know, that's against the trend and that's like a really big deal there's very few books that consistently you know go up for you know months at a time and you know we're going up you know on daredevil there's no civil war crossover and on cap we've been we've been moving up the sales charts even before we get to the civil war tie-in stuff so that's been kind of crazy and then what's what's really bizarre to me is that i get emails every day from people who you know i thought you know, Cap and the X-Men, I probably reached as many people as are ever going to buy any comic by me. But just just when Daredevil came out, it was like, you know, Daredevil and Cap saw almost the same amount of copies, but apparently to almost entirely different audiences. Sure. You know, like, there's there's probably like a 20% crossover between those two audiences. And I was shocked. There were people, you know, who never heard of me before. And I get, you know, I get emails every day, like, now issue six because of all the you know the Iron Fist stuff and the, all the PR that went around with the Civil War director's cut and like you know thousands and thousands of people read about that online you know and picked up that issue of Daredevil and now there's a bunch bunch of more people picking up Daredevil you know that are searching out all the back issues and not having any luck finding them and you know it's it is it's really weird it does, and I my life doesn't feel that different than before except you know my website gets like you know, a hundred times.
kind of weird. Uh, every now and then I have like a bizarre moment that happens. I, I was with uh, my oldest friend in the world is a guy I've known for like 23 years and I just happened to run into him at San Diego. He works in video games now, but he used to be an inker in comics in the late 80s and early 90s. He worked at Malibu and Marvel and you know, now he does 3D animation for like The Sims and the Harry Potter games and stuff like that. And we were just walking along the street in San Diego after the show, like Saturday night, and um, we ran into these kids on the street who just, you know, they had their badges on, and they just looked like, you know, like punk rock kids or something. And I and I had some some criminal promos like in my bag, and I said, "Oh, hey guys, hold on a second, let me give you the promo for my new comic." And I gave them these criminal, you know, trailers. And the guy looked at me, and he's like, "Where did you get these?" And I, I said, "Oh, I had them printed up." And he's like, "Do you know Ed Brubaker?" <laughs> and my friend started cracking up and I was like yeah I am at Brubaker and they wouldn't believe me <laughs> no way and I had to like take out my ID and stuff and, and they they really were the guy's like wow because if you really are Ed Brubaker I mean I'm a huge fan of Ed Brubaker and <laughs> my friend Mike was just cracking up he was like I, I can't believe that that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen and I was like yeah I mean I'm not like famous by by the wildest stretch of the imagination I mean, I'm never going to get recognized outside of a comic convention or a comic book store, thank God. <laughs> but, uh, but you know. But you it, have a certain it amount of... It definitely feels different. And Bendis told me, you know, when you do, like, a big thing, like, like Deadly Genesis or Takeover Uncanny or even, even Daredevil, it's like a huge deal to be given Daredevil. You know, I mean, look at everybody who's written it before. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple, you know? couple paltry names. A couple of hacks. Yeah, a couple of paltry names, like... Frank Miller and Kevin Smith and Brian Bendis. Who? Yeah, nobody successful at all has ever worked on that book. It's a great, it's a great gig to get when you're going to try and launch a crime book too, because you know when you do when you do Daredevil right and everybody likes it, you're almost given permission to go off and, and do a crime comic after that. Yeah, and well, I think the biggest thing now is just don't make the mistake of like trying to create a huge crossover event and <laughs> and get and 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 yeah. control that you know i think you know bendis i was a, a, a longtime fan of his work for you know and still, and, and still, still am, am. Ab yeah. absolutely yeah. but it just got to the point where i think he you know he was doing too much and and you know he, tr he was trying to tell so many stories that at some point i think you just get so thinned out on that stuff that the, the quality is hard to maintain and, and that's i whenever whenever iron well, fist was announced I think with any with any writer who's really productive there's going to be you know ebbs and flows to the stuff that you know you like or don't like about their output i mean i think brian's last two issues of avengers that are the civil war tie-ins are like actually the best issues of avengers he's he's ever done mm -hmm. the i think you know powers is as good now as it's ever been i agree completely. so I, I think you know mm -hmm. brian's still firing on all cylinders he's just doing different kinds of, he's doing a lot of, of different kinds of stuff that people never expected him to do and you know, when you're hitting, you know, a couple hundred thousand readers with your with your stuff, you know, not all of them are ever going to like it. I mean, sure. I, I always felt when I was a kid, I was lucky if six out of twelve issues of a comic were good, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, yeah. of course, they would have fill-ins and, and, like, you know, guest writers constantly and without any announcement whatsoever back then. Let alone a hundred and, uh, you know, a yeah. hundred issues of Spider-Man, Ultimate sure. Spider-Man that have all been pretty I, darn I, good. I think his stuff is, is really you know as as good as it's ever been you know we get worried about you because you're doing so many books and we don't we care we, Ed. we, we care <laughs> about you Ed. We, you know but I, I wouldn't be doing it if i was worried I, i've been doing three to five books a, three to five books a month for five years now it's just you know
you know, until I got to Marvel, nobody, nobody, you know, realized that I was doing stuff at Vertigo, at DC, and at Wildstorm right. all at the same time. I mean, the first year I was doing Cap, I was, I had like, you know, two books coming out at Wildstorm for part of that. You know, I had, I had the tail end of Sleeper and, and, uh, Hell, I, I had, you know, the whole authority. I just found and, out you were doing, and, you know, so I, I've always been doing, you know, more than, like, you know, three books a month is my minimum, really. So right now I'm doing about four books a month. Nice. And, you know, that's not that bad, really. You know, it's, I mean, some months it's easier than others, but I like it because I, it makes me feel like a pulp writer, you know, like I have to, I have to get up every week and, and, and write something. So you keep those muscles move, moving, you know, but also, you know, it's just, it's good to have a bunch of different kinds of things to work on because it keeps your brain fresh. Well, you, you've got you've got noir, you've got uh, a couple solo books, you've got you know a, a superhero team book that's in outer space. So I mean, it's enough yeah. to definitely pull on on a lot of your different creative juices, which is, is yeah. Nice to and see. within those books, I try to do you know little bits and pieces of other genres. You know, like I'll try to with Catwoman. I, you know, I did a whole storyline in there that was pretty much just like a tragic romance comic. And you know, Dead Enders was pretty much like a sci-fi romance comic. We got. I mean, I, I try to I try to get a lot of different stuff into the stuff I'm already doing. But you know, I realize there's a bit of a dark tone around everything that I do. Well, it's because you live in the Pacific Northwest and it's always rainy. <laughs> you wish. It's like 95 <laughs> degrees here today. Nice. Um, uh, but, I was going to uh, ask you. So we got any more questions from the website? We've got. Uh, um, well, one more, maybe two more. Um, Dan in Minnesota, this is Paper Cut. Uh, he says, what was the attraction to come over to Marvel after the long stint with DC? The characters, the creators at Marvel, or uh, just a new territory to conquer, or Joe Casada's back rubs? Joe Casada's back rubs. <laughs> I have... And jobs, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... I hope Joe doesn't listen to that. Don't worry. <laughs> don't cut it out. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't uh, worry. No, uh, really, it was just I wanted to go freelance. I was, you know, I was, I'd was i been on exclusives for a long time, and I just felt like I was in this position where I wanted to try to branch out, and, you know, I'd worked on a lot of stuff at DC and Wildstorm, and I didn't want to necessarily leave, especially Wildstorm, I didn't want to leave. But, um, you know, I was going off the exclusive, and... You know, they offered me Captain America, which was my favorite comic as a, as a little kid. And, you know, I realized when I started working on it that I, you know, I never, when I started writing comics for other people to draw, had any intention of ever doing superhero stuff. It was just because of scene of the crime that I ended up getting, you know, offers to work in the Batman office. And, you know, Shrek had been an editor of some of my early stuff at Dark Horse. And so, you know, he, once he got in there, then, you know, those doors opened even wider. And, you know, it, it was only when I started working at Marvel that I actually remembered what I'd loved about the medium growing up, like the, the, the superhero genre, really, because I was a Marvel kid. I was not a DC kid. I mean, I had, you know, issues of Batman, and I had, you know, there were, there were certain DC comics that I followed, but with Marvel, I was like a line-wide kind of, you know, Yeah, yeah, and I had a talk with Ralph Macchio when I was out there a couple months ago about that, and 
he thought it was so shocking how easily I fell into my an understanding of the way things worked at Marvel and you know usually they have to sort of guide people through it and for me they really don't have to give me any notes because I just you know especially the characters that I'm working on like Cap and and Daredevil I know them like the back of my hand are you so. ever going to look at at doing some some prose you ever thought about doing a crime novel I mean you you seem perfectly uh, suited I've, for I've, it I've worked on some stuff I haven't ever finished a novel and and you know at some point I'd like to write uh a crime novel. I have outlines for about five different ones that I couldn't see being anything but novels. Sure. But, you know, it's fitting it in around everything else has always been the problem. I got 160 pages into a detective novel once and and, uh, and I had to set it aside because I was getting so far behind on all the writing stuff that I get paid to do. Sure. And, um, and when, I, when I set it aside for long enough, when I came back to it, it was really hard to try to get into it again. But um, I think I'm, more na- I'm much more naturally a comic book writer just because I grew up writing and drawing my own comics. So I like, there's, there's certain things you can do in comics that you can't do in any other medium. And one of those is juxtaposing, you know, images and narration where you can have a scene taking place and a narration that's going over it that has nothing to do with the images that you're seeing or at least is not. You know, it's not something you could do in a book. You couldn't have a narration and then descriptions of pictures that are that are taking place that that are meant to be seen together. You know, like the opening the opening scene in Criminal Number One actually is like a five page scene that has no dialogue and has all narration, but it's a robbery that's going bad, and the narration doesn't actually talk about that at all. The narration is about the main character's philosophy. And these two images are juxtaposed and, you know, for, for effect, basically. And that's not something I could ever figure out how to do in a book. I mean, you could do it in a movie, but it's much better in comics because everything's frozen on the page. So you can look at each, you know, you can really read it and look at the pictures and really, you know, go back over it, kind of. Can't wait until the next podcast? Be sure to check out AroundComics.com for breaking news, reviews, and opinions. All right, well, Ed, that... Uh Everything. Just fantastic today. We really appreciate you being on the show with us. You're one of our favorite writers, and uh, we look forward to your you know, various works every month. Uh, a quick rundown, everything that's going on in the Ed Brubaker universe right now. A quick, a quick rundown of the universe. <laughs> uh, well, go check out my MySpace page. I'm going to be like a total whore and plug my MySpace page. <laughs> that's why you're because here. Some friends of mine put together a really funny video. I just love, I just like criminal and everybody everybody that listens to this call up their retailer and make sure they're yes. ordering criminal order criminal and then and then wait five minutes and call them up with like you know some sort of cloth over the phone and pretend to be a different person <laughs> asking about criminal yeah. and then like do that again the next day and do that for like five or six days in a row and maybe even like find hot girls on the street and get them to call up with their cell phone and ask like uh, wait these are comic book fans man yeah. they're not I hanging really, out with hot I girls. Really want the grassroots 
and just do crazy stuff. Like, actually, you know, do that. Like, go out on the street and, if, and, and give a girl a dollar to go into the comic book store and ask about criminal if she's really hot. <laughs> See, or even if she's not. It doesn't matter, actually. That was really sexist. It's, just, it's any woman. As long as not your grandmother, because that would just be kind of weird. Really, as long as they're over 16 and under, say, 65, get them into a comic store to ask about criminal just for me. And send me a picture. So you're that's wanting I, people to I push criminal. More than anything, just, you know, I, I really, I, I really, you know, I appreciate how much everybody's loving all my other stuff, and, and I'm not slighting any of that stuff at all, and I appreciate that, you know, Marvel is being so supportive of me doing criminal and doing everything else, that they're actually letting me plug criminal in the letters pages of Cap and Daredevil, which is, you know, not something that, you know, usually happens with creator-owned books when you're working for the man. Well, I tell you what, Ed, is Criminal going to be good? Criminal is going to be criminally, you know, underrated. <laughs> well, no. Is it going to be? Is no, it, 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 it going to be good? I don't know. Warren Ellis is the first person to have read the first issue, like I said, and uh, and he said it was fucking great. Okay. And he, he reiterated it twice. Well, I'm he's trying to figure out how I can use that on the front cover, but I don't think I'm going to be able to. F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-
Bye. Well, there's Ed Brubaker for you. Uh, heck of a guy. Hell of a writer. If you haven't checked out his stuff before, I really highly recommend you do so. Um, Sleeper, fantastic work. Uh, it's basically a espionage, superhero, noir, crime, awesome story. Uh, Daredevil, just amazing. Captain America, if you've ever been a fan of Cap, you will absolutely love what, what uh, Ed is doing on Captain America. Um, and I also can say Criminal is something you should order. I, I happen to get a, my hands on a preview copy of it. I'll be writing a review probably early next week on that, but I, I have read it, and it's just great stuff, and I can't uh, recommend it enough. You should go out today and order it and call your LCS and all that other stuff and, and try and get your friends to order it, and it's it's really, really good, and I'd hate for this book not to be around for a long time, so... Anyway, that was Ed Brubaker. Hope you had fun. Um, next week, I know Chris and Tom will be putting together something special for you guys. I will not be on the show, but they will be. Uh, and then after that, we got, we have a bunch of shows lined up for you. A bunch of great stuff in store for all of you. I know we have some big names in, coming on the show. We have some small names coming on the show. We have some no names coming on the show that hopefully we can tune you into some people maybe you've never heard of before. And otherwise it'll uh, be the same old nonsense of me, Chris, and Tom sitting around and talking about comics. So I hope you have enjoyed this. Um, remember to come on www.aroundcomics.com. You can check out our forum there. You can send us emails, if you like, at info at aroundcomics.com. Um, you can leave us a voicemail at one eight 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 six five gcast Plenty of ways to get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, that's going to do it for me. I hope you had fun. You will uh, hear a new show next Monday. And in the meantime, we will be everywhere in and around comics. <laughs> If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com, or visit the Contact Us section of our website. For that, and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for this show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week. With a panel will change, but our mission stays the same, bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics.